You're listening to Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change. Hosted by Rev Yearwood, Mustafa Santiago Ali, and me, Antonique Smith. Each week, we host important conversations with innovators, policymakers, cultural influencers, and movement leaders who are leading the way to a 100% clean energy and just world. I am Rev Yearwood, President and CEO of the Hip Hop Caucus. And I am Mustafa Santiago Ali, the Senior Vice President at the Hip Hop Caucus. Welcome to our radio show and podcast that delivers real talk on climate change and environmental justice. No sides, just the facts and stronger communities. First, we want to say thank you to all those who are listening to our great WPFW 89.3 family for hosting us here in the studio and then for all of our supporters across the country. Also, a big thank you for all of our listeners who tune in each week. We love you all. And you can check out the show's blog at think100.info. Let me say that again for folks, think100.info. And also be sure to follow us online at hiphopcaucus.org. Well, let's, let's, let's get it here, Mustafa. First, what's, what's going on in the world today? Well, we have the Youth Climate March that's coming up on July the 21st. I mean, it's going to be incredible, Rev. We've got so many young people who are going to be here, who are going to make sure that their voices are heard, making sure that their bodies are in place, and also helping to lead, making sure that folks understand how important uh, these issues around climate and the environment are. No, that, that, that's important. So I just wanted to just take a second to talk about that because we're going to be really chiming in and organizing. So if you are interested in fighting for, you know, the inhabitants of this planet, because mm -hmm. many will say the planet will be okay. Um, it's those who live on the planet and we don't have clean air or clean water. Um, young people are rising up. We were very fortunate to be out there a few months ago on March 24th for the March for Our Lives, and they were fighting against issues regarding to gun violence. They were fighting for gun reform. And now, I would say about three or four months later, on July 21st, um, the Youth Climate March is organizing. And this is very important. If you want to find out more about that, you can go to This Is Zero Hour. I, I, I need you to understand that. That's their website. This is zerohour.org. And you can, you can go there to be involved. But we need everybody who's listening to this show, Think 100%, the coolest show on climate change, to make sure you find your way on June 21st, either here in D.C. or at one of the marches around the country. This is our moment, and we, can, we cannot be silent at this critical time. Most definitely, most definitely. And today also, for those who don't know, is Juneteenth. Okay, now. Yeah, and if you don't know what it is, you need to go Google it. <laughs> but we're also going to give you a quick synopsis and why it is important today. So most folks think that slavery stopped in our country in 1863, January the 1st. But for those of us who are students of history and why this day is so important, that message did not make it all across the country to let mm. folks know that they were actually freed 
from the bondage of slavery. Uh, you know, it wasn't until a couple of years later, June 19, 1865, uh, in Texas, mm. uh, when folks finally, uh, the Union Army, uh, and you may say Navy at that time, actually made it up there into Galveston to let people know that slavery had ended, that the war was completely over. But the war hasn't been over, Reb, because we understand that Juneteenth has a lot of meaning still today. Yes, we honor uh, that moment in history, but we also understand that slavery was also about breaking up families. So we see the things that are currently going on uh, with many of our Latino brothers and sisters uh, there at the border and families who are still being separated. So as we honor this day, we want to make sure that we also understand that these injustices continue to happen, and that's the reason why we need to stay connected uh, to make sure that the separation of families, no matter what their hue is, never happens again, that folks can no longer be placed into bondage ever again. And that's why we stand together uh, to say that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere, as Dr. King once said. Mustafa, just for those who are tuning in to this show, I think 100% the coolest show on climate change. I think you may need to kind of explain something there. I think that, mm -hmm. you know, today is Juneteenth, which is very important for um, particularly African Americans in this country. You mentioned um, the issue regarding the immigration crisis that's happening now mm -hmm. across the border. What does that have to do with climate change? Well, you know, it's, it's interesting that you raise that because as we see the impacts that are happening across the world and across our country, we have to pay particular attention to those situations where we're going to create uh, migrant movements, if you will, um, folks seeking asylum. Mm. And, you know, it's interesting that we sometimes uh, move from a position of privilege and we make the assumptions that those seeking asylum will be folks coming from other countries looking to get into our country. Okay, but yeah. as climate change begins to grow in intensity, we may also be the ones who are looking for asylum in other countries. All right, now, hold up now. <laughs> come on now. I'm, I'm just giving some real uh, talk. Come on, get They shouldn't no. tune in if they're not ready for oh, real talk. Oh, come on. You went from zero to 100% real quick. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's just the, the reality of the situation. Because uh, we continue to find out almost on a monthly basis mm. that the impacts that are happening from climate change are even greater than we had anticipated. And we're lucky that we have so many incredible guests who are going to be here today to kind of talk to us about some of these dynamics. There was a study that recently came out. Uh, Noah talked about it in 2007. Okay, we had an analysis of our ice packs. But we also don't know what Noah is. Tell me Noah. The is. National Oceanic Atmospheric Administration. That's right. Uh, you know, a federal agency who has a responsibility around some of these issues that we talk about here on the show um, and really in relationship to our oceans and, and some of the other changes that are happening climactically. Folks need to pay attention because in 2007 uh, to today, we now found out that things are growing three times faster than we had anticipated in relationship to the melting of the ice caps. So that means that you're going to have sea levels that are going to be rising. You're going to have changes that are going to happen um, in the currents. You're also going to have greater intensity with these storms. Um, you're going to have more wildfires. All these various types of things that sometimes we sit down in the movies and look at is going to become a reality if we do not get our act together. And is also going to move people. And that's why I say we should not just make the assumption that is going to be other folks trying to find right. refuge in our country, that we ourselves may be looking for refuge in other places. Um, and we'll also see other countries and islands and, and the movement of people. So we have to, 
one, better embrace our humanity, our morality, and understand the possibility that exists um, and, and really get our act together. And that's why the president needs to do a better job. I know that's right. Thank you for that, Mustafa. I just wanted to say that for those who don't know, sometimes you can actually watch some of these things at our discussion if you go to think100.info. And I bring that up because we have a, a great uh, camera guy um, who films this. And Tafa actually is from the, the, the Virgin Islands, and he just came back from the Virgin Islands. He, had, he, he When he came into the studio today, he mentioned about how he went back for a funeral and how sometimes we don't understand that folks are literally still losing their, their lives. They're losing their lives because of, of heartbreak. They're losing their lives because of stress. Um, you know, what's, what's going on in Puerto Rico and the Virgin Islands, what's going on in, in Houston and what's going on around this country post-Hurricane Irma, Hurricane Harvey, Hurricane Maria. People are still dying because of that. So it just doesn't happen. So what Mustafa just said is real talk. And so I just wanted to shout out Tafa, our, our great camera guy in here. And you can check out his work at think100.info or on the YouTube page. And you can see and hear all the, the great guests we have. And speaking of great guests, we have a special guest in the studio from an amazing organization. Y'all know how much uh, Dr. Ewan loves to hear me say amazing uh, mm. on his show. Uh, since 1971, Public Citizen has been at the forefront of consumer advocacy and championing public interest in the halls of power. Uh, they've defended democracy, they resist corporate power, and work to ensure that government works for the people, not for big corporations. And so joining us today in the studio right now is David Arkish, the Climate Programs Director at Public Citizen. David, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. So let's hop right into this. So, you know, David is, uh, has come in. So, David, you're here today to talk about a recent report. Let's just jump right into it. A recent report you published about how the media is failing the public when it comes to covering climate change. What exactly is wrong, and why does the public deserve better coverage? Sure. Well, the biggest problem with media coverage on climate change right now is there's way too little of it, right? Mm -hmm. If you know anything about climate change, you know it's basically the most serious problem facing the country, facing the world. It's already hurting people uh, across the world. It's hurting people in the U.S. already, and it's getting worse very quickly, and it's extremely urgent. We don't have a lot of time left. Uh, we can still fix the problem if we if we you know mobilize really quickly, uh, but it's getting really late, and it is unbelievable how little you hear about it in the media. So they've done polls on this, and if you ask people how how much they hear about climate change in the media, most people say they don't even hear about it once a month, mm -hmm. not even once a month, right? And again, this is like it's like there's a meteor coming at the earth that's gonna you know destroy everything. We ought to be talking about it every day, right? Um, every media outlet ought to be talking about that. There ought to be multiple, you know, articles, that sort of thing. Um, but why is that the case? I mean, th this happened to that. Why don't media outlets talk about this more? Well, it's, that's an interesting question. And, and, and back up for a second, is, is it really true? Or are all these people who say they don't hear about it, they're just not paying attention, right? Mm -hmm. um, and so one of the things we've done is we've looked at it pretty closely. And even in contexts where you would uh, think it's, you know, uh, it, it's most obvious to talk about climate change. The media really aren't really reporting on it much. So we looked, um, even in, in all of 2017, when talking about record heat or record heat waves, you know, and we were, like, records were falling like, you know, dominoes in, during 2017. They still are uh, now that we're moving into summer. 
even when talking about record heat, record heat waves, uh, only 22% of pieces in major newspapers or the broadcast networks mention climate change. Right? Mm -hmm. That's the most obvious place you could, right? global warming mm -hmm. is hot. Right? There's obviously a connection to heat. It's the most obvious place you could bring it up. But that was the high water mark. We also looked at when they talked about uh, record wildfires, flooding, the hurricanes, right? that extraordinary series of hurricanes. Um, right? we, had, we had Harvey, then Irma, uh, Maria, and Nate. There were around 21,000 pieces that mm -hmm. talked about you know, one, one or more of those hurricanes last year, and less than 5% of them mentioned climate change. Right? And that was a huge, huge climate event uh, collectively. So, um, so yeah, it's absolutely right. You know, people aren't mistaken when they say they don't hear about it in the media. The media is definitely not reporting on it. Mm -hmm. um, and the reason it's important is that's one of the media's basic jobs, right, is educating people about, about the issues that are important to them. And right. from the perspective of trying to build a climate movement and trying to solve this problem, how are we going to solve it? How are we going to fix this problem if no one's talking about it and if no one knows what's going on? So, David, what, is, what does good coverage look like? You know, mm. sometimes we, we, we talk about, you know, we have a general idea, but, you know, you live this. Um, what does that good coverage look like, and what can folks do about it? How can, you know, they get engaged, and how can they push to make sure that whatever it looks like actually happens? Sure. So, um, I mean, the biggest thing with good coverage is there'd be way more of it, right? Imagine we don't have the same kind of records from, say, World War II and what the media was doing then, but I I think it's safe to assume that during World War II, every newspaper in the country was running multiple stories every day about aspects of what was going on in the war effort, right? What, what folks are doing at home, how, you know, how this or that development is going, what, that should be happening on climate change. And as you know, anybody who follows this stuff knows, mm -hmm. there's plenty to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, there's, I can, it's my full-time job and I can hardly keep up with all the new developments on the mm -hmm. science, with all the new, with all the extreme weather, with all the developments in renewable energy. Mm -hmm. Uh, you know, there's there's so much news to be reported, and we ought to be seeing a lot more of it. So that's that's one big piece. The other is you got to get it out of what I call sort of like a climate and, and environment ghetto, right? It gets covered almost exclusively on the science pages, right, by the right. by the climate reporter. It's connected to everything, right? It's connected to business stories. It's connected to sports stories, travel. It's you know, it's all sort of Section A major news. Uh, it should be integrated with everybody else and not just sort of treated as this separate, uh, this separate thing. And finally, you have to see a lot more about solutions, right? Mm -hmm. There's very, very little reporting on solutions. And it's one thing to know that we've got this urgent, um, severe crisis that we need to solve. If you just know that, you know, you might kind of go a little numb or feel hopeless um, if you don't know that we also have great solutions, which we do, right? We actually know, know mostly how to solve, uh, you know, most of the problem. And... Um, Really, in terms of fixing this, that's a winning combination, right? The most terrible threat facing humanity, and it's really urgent, and we have these amazing solutions uh, that are going to make, you know, everyone better off. Mm -hmm. um, that's a winning combination for advocacy, right? I, I generally, you know, behind the veil of ignorance, I'd take that issue as one to work on. Mm -hmm. uh, it turns out, on, you know, on this, we're having a real problem getting the word out. People just don't know these things. Mm -hmm. So, David, let's, let's, let's take a step back. I think that, first of all, what's, what's your report called? Um, so uh, we have a report on the 2017 reporting called Carbon Omission. Okay, mm -hmm. like that. Yeah, we've done a, we've done a series of reports. We um, and uh, we're actually sending out an update in a couple of days just to, to reporters to educate them on it some more. But yeah. So so let's deal with this. So let's. I want to get to the fact that there are agencies that are not covering this unless it's literally the worst. And I and I want to. I want. I want you to also talk about do different agencies cover it differently and that's one thing but let's go back but before we answer sure. that I want to go back to the impact on vulnerable communities because as I'm listening to you and I'm thinking about the extreme heat I'm thinking about 
what happened with Katrina, Maria. In other words, people not paying attention, understanding how uh, dangerous these storms or wildfires could be. People who literally died. I'm thinking about just the, the impact of climate change on the sporting events. People at the French Open or the Australian Open, it was so hot that they were literally sticking to the court. Um, or people in different, different areas, they can't, you know, go out to play soccer or they can't go out to, to be a part of the baseball games because it's literally, you know, uh, uh, rains are so torrential. So to, to me, the question is twofold for you. What do we, as a movement, need to do better? Because if the media is not doing their job, what do we need to do to tell the story? And then the second part of that, then what parts of the media is telling it good and what part of the media is not doing their job at all? Right. Um, I think uh, it's a really, really interesting and tough question in terms of what we need to do better. I do think that we could have been doing better for a long time now. And I think um, one of the things is I think there's a reticence in the climate community to talk about actually uh, some of the worst things that can happen, right? I think there's a lot of people who think that we shouldn't scare people. Mm -hmm. And I think that made a lot of sense maybe 10 or 15 years ago when we didn't know as much what we could do to solve the problem. Again, it's that same, it's that same issue if you, if you don't know how you're going to solve it. Um, then maybe it is a bad idea to scare people because you just kind of turn them off. Mm -hmm. But now we do know. And I think, again, it's pretty effective to, to scare the heck out of people with the truth. In fact, I think it's almost criminally neg negligent for us not to be shouting as loud as we can about, right. about what's on the way. Yeah. I mean, the idea that, that the idea that we could get past a sort of a point of no return and, and, and the climate movement itself wasn't trying the hardest it could to get the word out, I mean, that's seriously irresponsible, I think. Um, and now that we've got solutions, I think it's really effective to tell people. Um, I do think part of the story, uh, part of the reason the, the story hasn't gotten out very well, it's interesting, there's, if you back up, a funny thing about, the, uh, another odd thing about climate change is most people in America actually do get it mm. on some level. And I think most of us don't realize that unless you actually take a close look at the polling data, right? Majorities of people in every state in the country and even every congressional district actually do believe that global warming is real. We hear a lot about denial. We hear a lot about, you know, people being in their own epistemic bubbles and all that. But mm -hmm. the bottom line is, like, most people actually do get this. And most people even support the right types of policies. They just don't support them in the, you know, necessarily to the, on the scale that we need them or on the speed. But, the, you know, general, basically directionally, you know, we're sort of in the right place. Most people are there. Mm -hmm. But it's a really, really low priority. It's like unbelievable how low it ranks on priority lists. You've got like a very, very small segment of the public who'll, ra who'll rank it in the top two. Uh, everybody else, it doesn't even make the top half. 55% of registered voters in 2016 ranked it dead last out of 23 issues. Hmm. And the reason is because it still seems kind of distant, right? Even though they kind of get it, they think it's mostly going to hurt people in faraway places. This is where I'm finally coming back to what you're asking. Yep. Uh, right, so they think it's going to hurt people in the developing world, mostly people of color, and there's probably like, this is probably tied up in all kinds of implicit racism and that sort of thing. Um, or, and they think to the extent it's gonna hurt people in the US, it's not gonna be for a really long time, mm -hmm. right? So the issue just seems kind of distant. And there's a microcosm of that here where you know, climate change is already hurting people here, but it also it tends to be hurting mostly people who are more at the margins of society, right? Well, communities. A absolutely, right. Who died from Katrina? Mm -hmm. Who? who died last year in all those hurricanes, right? I mean, an entire island of U.S. citizens uh, was, was, was the most severely hurt, and we got the U.S. government doesn't even seem to care about it, right? Mm -hmm. and, and doesn't think of them as part of our community. And so it's the same thing. I think, you know, not enough people in America um, get how it hits here and how it hits home and how, how, how those people are part of our overall community, right, and, and how we need to be taking care of everybody here. Uh, and that really, those are sort of those are also canaries in the coal mine, right? Mm -hmm. I'm a little torn on this. On the one thing, and I think we need to be doing a better job of getting the word out about who is hurt, and pushing the media to do that. 
On the other hand, it's just like organizing 101 that it's hard to get people to care about something unless it affects their own self-interest. So I also do think it's really worthwhile pushing and, and showing people the ways it's going to hurt their own children, their own communities, mm -hmm. um, everybody in the country, meet them where they are and show them, because it is, and it's going to happen very soon. Yeah, you know, in the work that I do, uh, I, I try and change the messaging so that people understand, like you're saying, how it impacts them uh, on a day-to-day -day basis or, or in their lives. You know, sometimes I see the environmental movement and the climate movement and the public health movement, sometimes there seems to be some separation between the two. You know, I try and help people to understand when we talk about those 27 million people who have asthma in our country mm -hmm. uh, and how the, you know, the impacts from climate will make those numbers continue to, to move up um, and, and how we currently have a situation in our country where um, folks are fighting for health care and there are some who are trying to take that away. And, then of course, we have all these other types of conditions that are coming on around air pollution and other things and climate, and you don't mm -hmm. have that opportunity to have health care uh, or you don't have health care facilities close by right. all of these things connect uh, and, and I talk the same way about water quality issues and you know these huge storms that now come and how it's you know overwhelming many of our water infrastructure systems uh, and you end up paying more for water quality or for the access to water so forth and so on uh, and so sometimes I think one we we forget how to make it simple uh, and keep it plain and then the other thing I think sometimes we don't do enough is that... What do you mean when you say that, Mustafa? Well, you know, for me, it's about Mrs. Ramirez and Mr. Johnson. People hear me talk about them all across the country. If it doesn't make sense to them, yeah. then we're missing the mark. And I, and I know, you, David, you completely get this. The other thing I think we fall short on is bringing folks into uh, our conversations around the development of our language... Uh, who are folks who are just dealing with everyday issues and, and sometimes you know those of us who've worked uh, here inside of the bubble which is Washington DC you know we have our own sets of languages that sometimes we assume you know will connect with folks and we, we forget about folks who are in West Virginia or folks you know who are in Wisconsin or so many other places and I think we do a disservice when we they are not a part of the creation uh, of our narratives um, and, and you mentioned also the success stories which are so critical and helping people to understand that there is light at the end of the tunnel, that we can fix these issues. Um, do you guys ever focus on uh, figuring out how to bring more voices into uh, this fight, this struggle, and this sort of creation of language um, that's necessary? Uh, absolutely. I mean, that's a big focus of, of, of the program. Um, I'm talking about the program without even saying what it is. So what we started a program called Cover Climate to try to improve media coverage. Um, and it's both about... Uh, getting more coverage, but also getting better, better coverage. And better means a lot of things. Um, and one of the things it means is bringing more voices into the conversation mm -hmm. and elevating all of the work that's out there, right, and all the campaigns that are out there, elevating. Right? And this is, um, again, there's so much going on, and most people in the country don't know about it, right? Mm -hmm. And there are so many perspectives that are missing. In, 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 in basically, you know, I think in all our, you know, in most of our media narratives on almost any issue, mm -hmm. um, and climate is absolutely no, no exception. Even though, again, those are the communities who are the, who are the mm -hmm. most impacted. You know, it's funny. I was thinking about this on the way over here. How you talk about, you know, who are the most vulnerable communities to 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 this, that, or the other climate harm, and it's almost always the elderly, the sick, children, mm -hmm. low-income communities, and communities of color. And there's a huge difference between the groups on that list, right? The elderly. Uh, people who are sick and children, it's because they're inherently more vulnerable to certain things, right, like heat um, or, or certain kinds of diseases. With low-income communities and communities of color, it's actually about 
injustice, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's why they're more vulnerable is because they don't have as many resources because there's you know an inequitable distribution in this society and inequitable access to solutions or to ways of protecting yourself. It's just another way in which I feel like it. It's you're totally right. people just get sort of get lumped together and we gloss over mm -hmm. uh, sort of those important differences in, in sort of perspectives and who's affected. So Dave, I, I, I actually first of all thank you. I want to I want to make sure you understand that I appreciate what you're bringing to our movement. Um, covering climate is such an important piece. Um, I got to tell you, for those who are just tuning in, you're tuning in to Think 100%, um, the coolest show on climate change. And the reason why we, 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 we call it that is because we try to talk about climate and these hard issues, but also try to make sure that we're talking about culture and just having a different perspective on how we're approaching this. And so we're approaching different issues differently. And this is a very important one for us because this is how literally what we're saying, if I can just, you know, if I, I can kind of almost paraphrase, what we're saying here is that if there was a disaster, if there was a disease that was cutting throughout the country, um, which people were dying because of that disease, and, and the country knew about that. In other words, they knew that, listen, this is what's happening, and we have a solution to take care of this disease. Like, it could be Ebola, it could be whatever disease may be. And the news would cover that. They would say, listen, this is what's going on. You can go get vaccinated here. You can go here. So if, and if you don't do that, it will continue to spread, and it will have catastrophic results. What David is saying, and David is the, the climate program director for Public Citizen, what he is saying, and, and has a, a, a report out tomorrow covering climate, is that the media is not doing that. The media is, has chosen, in other words, to know what's going on, to, to know that, listen, sea level is rising, to understand that we're having more powerful hurricanes, we're going to have more wildfires, to know what it's doing to our elderly, to our children, what's going on with clean air and clean water, what's, what's happening with that. The media literally has this, these facts, and instead of putting this out to the public so the public can, res can respond to this, the media is saying nothing. And so because of that, we're getting worse, and we're not actually putting forth solutions. And so what David now was putting forth is sounding the alarm, say the media, your job is to put forth this message, and because you're not doing that, you're not only hurting the current generation, you're hurting future generations. But David, what can we do to wake up this media to tell them, like, listen, tell the story about climate change? Right, so this is, the, this is where a lot of the good news comes in. There's actually a lot we can do, and there's a lot of low-hanging fruit. Like a lot of the, I think a lot of reporters, um, in my experience so far, actually want to do a better job. They don't realize how bad they're doing, first of all. Mm -hmm. And if some of them, if you just point it out, they actually improve surprisingly quickly. I mean, I, we, one of the pieces of our program is doing some reporting on, on how the media is doing. We issue these reports or we send them just notes to the media that we don't even issue publicly. Um, and it's been amazing the extent to which, like, already we've been able to get some changes that we were pretty confident happened just because we pointed out sort of that they weren't doing a good job yeah um before the show we were talking about uh whether we're going to the cop right and um the and i'm uh, sorry the next major u.n negotiations on climate change and um we did a report in uh, november around the last one it was in bonn germany where we just pointed out that there was an unbelievable lack every, every year around the cop there are m unbelievable massive demonstrations mm -hmm. uh you know just a mass outcry from the public for stronger solutions to take this more seriously and to do better and um, we looked in the last 10 years and there's virtually no coverage of of that stuff at all mm -hmm. I found a, a single 
story in a single publication over the course of 10 years that was just straightforwardly about an action and what the people were asking for around one of these conferences. And it was mm -hmm. like the Chicago Tribune, and it was like a demonstration of 100 people mm -hmm. the year that the conference was in Paris. I mean, it was just like this totally bizarre little one-off story. Mm -hmm. There's just no coverage at all. And then you, the, where you did get coverage is if, you know, a, a group gets accused of doing something illegal, right, or if there's violence or something like that. There's a little bit of coverage around, but there's almost nothing that's actually just focusing on what people are saying what they want. Well, we point that out, and then we did, um, this is the other piece of our of our work was we're organizing people to push the media to do better. We um, we got, uh, I think it was over 110 people to write individual letters, this was my form letter, to the New York Times asking mm. them to cover the, mm -hmm. the demonstrations this time around. And for the first time ever, the New York Times put up two stories uh, that were focused squarely on the demonstrations. Right? That's all it took was 100 people writing them and us issuing a report saying that they haven't done a good job on it. Right? So there's a, there's a ton of low-hanging fruit. That's just one you know, small example. There are many other things they need to be reporting on, many more significant things. So the reporting is one piece, and then I was starting to get into the activism. Um, this part I'm, I'm, I'm the most excited about. And I don't, I'm not really aware of anybody doing this kind of activism before, um, and certainly not the scale we want to. And so, you know, there are going to be some fits and starts. We're trying to figure out how to, how to, get, it, how to get it right. Um, but we're basically trying to build the equivalent of like the world's biggest PR team, mm. right? Volunteer staff, essentially, mm. which is activists out there, edu reaching out to the media, sort of monitoring the media, see how they're doing, reaching out to reporters, educating them. Hey, great story about, you know, the big heat wave that's coming this weekend. Did you know there's a connection to climate change? Here's some links to the latest science. They write a follow-up story. They're going to they're include that stuff probably, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. um, reaching out to them when they do a good job. You know, if you talk to any reporter on climate, they'll tell you. When they write a story on climate change, they get an inbox stuffed full of angry hate mail, mm -hmm. right? It's possibly from, like, paid trolls. It might be from Russian bots. Who knows? <laughs> um, but they, they certainly hear from the other side, and they don't hear from us. Mm -hmm. So we need to make sure they do, and we need to make sure their bosses hear from us, right, and their editors hear from us. Um, we need to be, you know, tweeting out good stories and congratulating the reporters are all on Twitter, right? Mm -hmm. So we need to be on there saying, did you see this great story, right? Creating some volume around that, get, you know, giving them credit for it. And of course, the, the media companies are also tracking all this, right? There's all this about how everything you do online is getting tracked right now, mm -hmm. right? And one of the things we want to do, this is a different kind of activism, actually. I think it's a way to turn what gets derided as sort of clicktivism into something that could actually be effective. I love it. Is to flip that, right? They're tracking everything we do. Well, let's, 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 let's do things that influence them. Right. right. They know what we're viewing. They know what we're liking. They know what we're sharing. So let's view, like, and share really good climate coverage, mm -hmm. right? Let's, let's show them through their own internal metrics that this is what's rewarded. This is what the public wants. So they do more of it, right? Wow. Yeah. Well, David, I know you have some breaking news for folks, uh, an incredible partnership between your organization, the United Farm Workers, Farm Workers Justice, two organizations that I know well who have always done incredible work. Um, I believe it's uh, in reference to uh, construction workers uh, and farm workers in extreme heat. Can you sort of just drop some knowledge on folks? Sure. So, uh, yeah, 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 drum roll or something. You good? Sure. <laughs> <laughs> good? Okay. I'll just do my best. Um, yeah, no, we're we're super excited about this partnership. We're excited about this campaign. We are um, we're launching a campaign next month uh, to push for protections from heat stress for workers mm. in the U.S. Mm -hmm. And and you're right. This is a worker protection thing. We're partnering with unions. It's like, what, what, don't you work on climate change? Right. To us, this is as much a climate issue as it is obviously a worker protection issue. Right. As temperatures are rising, the the problem of heat stress is getting you know worse and worse. Mm -hmm. um, it's already a problem, but as temperatures rise, it's going to be you know 
even worse, and we really need to protect people. I mean, if you look at some of the temperature projections, if we don't, you know, start, you know, fixing this problem and stopping greenhouse gas pollution, it's totally possible that there'll be no more outdoor labor in the summer in the U.S. South. Mm-hmm. Um, that's totally, po- I mean, you know, there's a huge range of possibilities in terms of what would happen. That's totally within the, within the range of what could happen on the course we're on. And along the way, imagine how many people get hurt and killed. Mm. Right before we figure out that it's just too hot to work, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Before, so let's get ahead of this problem, um, and we view this both as a way of protecting people along the way, but also as a way of educating about climate change. Right? Um, the challenge in the U.S. work we've been talking about is to get people here to, to understand that it's here already, that it's hurting people, that it's hurting people here, and that it's going to get worse really quickly. Heat is one of the best places to do that. First of all, I think most people get intuitively, and they hear all the time that heat records are being broken, right? Everyone gets that it's getting hotter. Um, and it's the best place, I think, to show, on an, unfortunately, like really sadly, on a regular basis every damn summer, mm-hmm. the human toll right. of what climate change is doing, right? Like clockwork. We can count on it. We're going to have people this summer who die. We've already had people who've died this mm-hmm. season. We've got schools closing early because they don't have air conditioning, and it's usually not this hot this time of year. Um, in multiple places in the country. We've got, um, so anyway, it's a great place to show that we really need to get ahead of this problem. And at the same time, um, you know, I've had people actually say, sort of, well, let's not adapt to climate change. We don't want to put in place policies that you know, protect us from, from climate change. We've got to stop it. And it's like, yeah, we're going to try to stop it. That's part of the goal. At the same time, you know, we've already built in some, right? We've, got, we've already raised temperatures about a degree. We've probably locked in another maybe half a degree. Um, We'd certainly need to protect people from what, the damage we've already done uh, along the way. Mm-hmm. So, David, I I I, I want to make sure that you, you you come back and you give us as you're covering climate and covering those who are covering climate. Yeah. You 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 make sure you know you come back here to you know think 100% the coolest show and give us update on that. But I also know that you are a musician. <laughs> And uh, you play the guitar, you're in a band, and so I know that I know that side, that, that, that aspect. And so, you know, as you're doing, you know, your climbing side, or your, you know, you're checking out who's reporting, you know, you, you have your other side where you just, you know, go home, take out your guitar, and just, and just, and just you know, play a little something, something. Um, but with that, you know, since this is, you know, think one of us said, the coolest show on climate change. Um, you know, we use culture. We we understand how important culture is. What kind of what what kind of if you get so let me, get, let me paint the picture. And so if you're getting ready to go, if you got to go out here and we got to take to the streets, and you got to get pumped up. Okay, okay, we got to make this. Thing. We got we got to make this folks cover climate. So what 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 song would you put on that would get you fired up and ready to go? Sure. And, um it doesn't exactly scream like media activism, but um, <laughs> but in terms of just getting pumped up in general, I think sort of like my biggest, most classic go-to would be uh, Rage Against the Machine, Killing in the Name, mm-hmm. right? And it's sad to say how relevant that is today, mm-hmm. right? I mean, just it's really striking. You would think we would have made a little bit more progress by now, but yeah. still working on it. Yeah. Well, David, thank you. Uh, we appreciate you being here on Hip Hop Caucus, Think 100%. The coolest show on climate change. You've just been listening to David Arkish, who's the climate programs director at Public Citizen. You are listening to Hip Hop Caucus Think 100%. And I just want to say that this week was the anniversary of the Charleston church shooting. Mm-hmm. Um, um, many people might not know Reverend Pickney. Mm-hmm. Actually, was a climate hero. That's right. 
um, in South Carolina, and I was actually very fortunate to be in a position to be asked. Um, me and my brother T.C. Muhammad and many of us went there, and I had to actually spoke um, at the church. And actually, actually, it was funny to speak on climate issues at the church at Mother Emanuel. So, but for them, President Barack Obama, um, you know, went there and did what, you know, presidents, Republican or Democrat, should do, um, which was, you know, just be human. And so um, this next song is actually called President Barack Obama, Amazing Grace, um, and it's an anniversary, it's in just thinking back for all those who were murdered at the Charleston Church today. Amazing Grace. Amazing Grace. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that now lead them home. May God continue to shed his grace on the United States of America. Welcome back. We're now transitioning to get into some of the clean water issues we're facing across the country I'm with one of our good friends and you are tuning in to Think 1%, the coolest show on climate change. You know, Rev, I was super blessed to be able to sit down with Rosemary Inabakre, uh, who is the director of the Clean Water for All Coalition and the Clean Water for All campaign recently. And you know, Mustafa, in this role, she is responsible for working with a broad range of partners to advocate and defend clean water protection at the federal level. Rosemary is amazing, y'all. I just want to let y'all know that. She's, she's off the chain. And you just heard President Obama, but she was previously appointed by the Obama administration to serve on the administrator, Gina McCarthy, the former 
EPA Administrative Public Engagement Team at the United States Environmental Protection Agency. And prior to EPA, she was the Director of African American Outreach for the DNC. And I just want to say that when we did things, Rosemary was always there um, when we did anything with the EPA back then, literally on the ground. It would be good to see her. Yeah, and you know what I love about Rosemary is that, you know, she is a fighter. She is a champion uh, for communities, all communities, but she especially um, understands the challenges for our most vulnerable communities. So the work that they're doing with the Clean Water for All campaign is needed. Uh, it is timely, and it has the ability to actually make sure that clean water becomes uh, a right that everyone can actually access. And, and before we get to that, why is clean water so important? You know, it's, it's one of those elements that if you don't have it, we mm. know that life well, <laughs> ends very quickly. Well. And, and, you know, from Flint, Michigan, to folks in Standing Rock um, with, who are protecting our water um, and making sure that the next generation and the generation after that and the generation after that actually has access to clean water, it's something that we should all be focused on. With that, shout out to all the water protectors, many with Shoney. Uh, please listen to this interview with Mustafa and Rosemary. Super blessed today. Rosemary, thank you so much for coming in. Thank you so much, Mustafa. Excited to be here. And I'm excited too now. <laughs> As full disclosure, Rosemary and I know each other from our days at the Environmental Protection Agency. Yes. Rosemary, is you are an incredible, incredible sister, just <laughs> always pushing to make sure that real change happens inside of our communities. I've always appreciated your level of commitment to the work. So we're blessed to have you here. Thank you, Mustafa. And Mustafa is a real superstar, too. Um, I work with him, and all I can say is he gives me credibility um, in communities here in D.C., and I really just am excited to be working with him through Hip Hop Caucus. Well, thank you, sister. I appreciate that. So we have, this is an incredible show. So we got some really deep issues that we need to talk about and some of the really transformative work that the Clean Water for All campaign is doing. But for those of our listeners and viewers who don't know a whole lot about you, can you just sort of talk a little bit about your journey, where you come from, uh, and how you got connected to these issues? Yeah, so um, for me, my background, um, I came from, I'm from Jackson, Mississippi, um, went to school in Atlanta, I went to Spelman College, um, and so for me, one of the things that was instilled in me at Spelman was be the change that you want to see in the world. That's our motto. That's what we go by. And so when I was there, I really developed a passion for making sure that I was able to be a voice for those who weren't able to speak out. Um, and so I came to D.C. and found my way um, into doing a little bit of democratic politics, but then I kind of turned myself into an organizer. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be the person who translated tough information, tough policies into regular information for everyday people people like me, people who came from Mississippi and couldn't really understand the, you know, D.C. jargon. So um, for me, I'm an organizer. And, for, and when it comes to the work that I do um, around environmentalism, it's not necessarily about environmentalism. It's about equality um, and making sure that we all have fair access and we all go from surviving to thriving. That's extremely important for me and the work that I do. And so working on water is something that I'm extremely passionate about, um, you know, 
I was at EPA with you when Flint happened. Mm -hmm. And that kind of opened my eyes to the things that were happening around water and the things that our people are exposed to, um, but don't know um, that they're being exposed to. And so that's why I got involved in, in doing work on water and being a part of this uh, Clean Water for All Coalition um, that Hip Hop Caucus is, is a part of and is a part of our steering committee because we know that when, it, when what we need to do in order to be able to move the ball forward on water is come together as one. So the work that we're doing um, for clean water is, is, is extremely important and extremely vital for the communities that we represent. Well, no, thank you for that. So I, I kind of want to build on the foundation. So I want to go back to Jackson, Mississippi. Yeah. Uh, can you kind of share with uh, our viewers and listeners, you know, what were some of the things that you saw? What were some of the impacts that, that helped to frame you out before you made it to spell? Yeah. For, I mean, for me, you know, thinking about places like Itabina, Mississippi, places like the Delta, right, where there are a lot of issues that are happening. You would go to Itabina and be like, man, am I still in the U.S.? Mm. Um, you go to people's homes that they may not even have running water. Mm. Um, and, and that's a reality still. Um, but knowing even in my hometown in Jackson, currently there's an issue when it comes to water. Back in January, in December, there was a situation where the water pressure was so low um, and there were so many leaks within the pipes um, in, the, in the water system um, that they had to stop. Kids couldn't go to school because there was no water. They had to give out bottled water for weeks. This happened for almost a month where kids were not in school because of that. So, you know, that's not a problem that's just happening in Jackson. That's a problem happening everywhere. But that those things like that are issues that we need to be talking about mm -hmm. and raising up to D.C. so we can build some policies around it. Um, because it makes no sense where we're having kids leaving school, missing school because of the lack of access to clean water. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's one of the reasons why I'm here and why I'm doing this work. Yeah, so as you were saying, you know, the water infrastructure issues, uh, for a lot of folks, they don't realize that in certain parts of our country, you know, folks don't have access to clean water. Folks have these old systems that uh, in many instances are many times not in compliance. Right. Um, and then also, you know, the various types of public health concerns that come from uh, when you have uh, old antiquated water systems that don't have the pop proper purification right. um, and all these different types of diseases that can pop up um, mm -hmm. if we don't have that. And we find that throughout the Black Belt that folks have not invested right. uh, in those systems. And, we, you know, we really got to be extremely focused on that. So you left Mississippi, went to Spelman, mm -hmm. um, and Spelman was a part of sort of framing out your commitment to, to these issues. Can you talk a little bit about things maybe you were involved with when you were at Spelman? Yeah, um, so I, you know, I didn't really get involved in environmental work mm -hmm. until I left Spelman. It just wasn't something that I was super knowledgeable about. Mm -hmm. uh, when I went to school, I was an economics major. I thought I was going to be a, a investment banker okay um, but I also graduated in a time where we were um, it, we were going through a, a recession um, we had the biggest financial crisis in this one of the biggest financial crises in this country so I had to rethink what I was going to do um, but I had a, one of my former uh, bosses went to the Environmental Protection Agency and called me and said, you know, Rosemary, you've done a lot of really great work within the African American community, and we really want to make sure that the work that we're doing on climate change and clean water is, in, is involving um, communities of color. We want to make sure that they're not just at the table, but also a part of the solution. And so that was kind of how I made my way into the work around environmentalism. Um, and, fo and I focused mainly on climate change, but then I, I began to learn 
learned that water was a huge issue that we needed to be a part of as well. You know, one of the things that I've seen, especially when I was at EPA, is that water could sometimes be seen as a white issue. Mm. Um, for a long time, you know, community groups, communities of color just were left out of the conversation around water um, because it was about recreational um, things, right? You talk about like fishing or swimming, but they weren't necessarily talking about drinking water. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't until Flint happened where people really started to be like, okay, we got to inc incorporate these groups to make sure that they're part of the conversation because they're equally as important to this, if not even more. Um, because it's those communities who are suffering. It's those communities who don't have access to, to clean water. It's those communities who can't afford water. Water affordability is a huge infrastructure issue. Um, and so, you know, the coalition that I work for, the Clean Water for All Coalition, is trying to make sure that people can afford water. Um, and not only can they, they can, can they afford water, but afford clean water. Right now, our water is under attack. Um, the Trump administration has is rolling back regulations from the Clean Water Rule to um, to the the president's uh, infrastructure plan, um, which is trying to privatize water. When you privatize anything, what does that mean? That means somebody needs to get paid for it, right? And so, who's gonna who does that leave to pay for it? the consumer? Um, and so, people can't afford it. They can barely afford their water now. So if we privatize it, what is, how, how, how do people pay for it? Um, so right now there, are there aren't any vehicles to really push a lot of um, infrastructure policies, but right now the coalition is trying to frame a message mm -hmm. to make sure that people know here in D.C. that we're paying attention. People are not just sitting at home and going to allow people to roll back our regulations. Because one thing, one thing that we do know is that as the government and the people here in D.C. are rolling back these regulations, they're not the folks who are getting hurt. They're not the folks folks who are, are having to go to the emergency room, folks who are having to miss school because of, you know, not having water. It's people who look like us. Mm -hmm. um, you know, African-American communities, uh, Hispanic communities, tribal communities, all these folks. And so we need to make sure that we are are, are coming together and, and talking about this issue and why it's important. And so that's what we're doing. We're really coming together and trying to make sure that we l let people know that we need stronger clean water protections and not weaker ones. Okay, I like that. So I guess that's different than what Kanye was saying, <laughs> that we need less regulations in our communities. We're actually looking for regulations that actually benefit our communities right. and, and are enforced fully, right. uh, maybe even expanded. So Kanye, exactly. tip to you Tip on to that. Kanye. <laughs> Don't get me started on that. Okay, all right. We're going to leave that brother alone right now because we know, we know he hopefully is going through an evolutionary phase. Hopefully. Yeah, but you had mentioned Flint, Michigan. I know you spent some time out there. I want you to talk a little bit about what you saw, maybe conversations that you had, but for the one or two people in the country who may not know what happened in Flint, Michigan, maybe you could talk a little bit about that, but also that there are 3,800 other communities that have higher levels of lead in their water yeah. than Flint does. So can you talk a little bit about how you got to Flint, some of the things that you focused on, what you saw and felt, you know, in, in your conversations and connections with communities. Sure. So I was at the EPA when Flint happened, and um, during that time, um, I worked under Gina McCarthy, who wanted to make sure all hands were on deck to make sure that we coordinated a campaign through the government to make sure people knew, you know, how to take, how to protect themselves during the, the lead crisis. But essentially what happened in Flint was, you know, lead 
was leaching into their water from corroded pipes. Mm -hmm. um, what we know is that our country is aging. And so the infrastructure of this country is uh, is aging. Um, so there are old pipes all over that, pe that need to be changed and replaced. And we need funding in order to be able to change those things. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's essentially what happened in Flint. And one of the things that I want to make sure that I, I really uh, stress is that Flint is not a distant threat for so many communities. Like you said, there are cities across the country who have lead issues that are two, three, four times more than Flint. Mm -hmm. um, but it's important for us to really, um, it's important for us to really make sure that, uh, that we are engaging with the communities and hearing them. Um, when I was in Flint, one of the things that we heard over and over was, we've known this has been an issue for years. Mm -hmm. um, this guy, there's this one preacher who I knew, who I met when I was there, you know, he really talked about how he grew up in this in, in, in Flint, and he had been there his entire life. And they have always said something is going on with the water, from the rashes that my kids have been getting since since they were kids till now. Um, here, people were losing hair. I mean, we needed to pay attention to people. And so I think now they have, have really shed light on making sure that we are paying attention to what people are saying. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and folks just had had a they just didn't trust the the government anymore mm -hmm. and so it was like a, a, a they were playing for help it was a cry a cry out for help and so we want to make sure that we are listening to what the community folks are saying which is why we're engaging with groups like hip-hop caucus and green latino so that we can have real people mm -hmm. telling us what's going on in states so that we can come to dc and really push these federally elected officials and the government to do something mm -hmm. it's a big thing you know it's like the epa has a, a bullseye on its back mm -hmm. and 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 this administration and this Congress is just trying to take it down. But EPA was started for a reason. Mm -hmm. And the work that we're doing around clean water, you know, thinking about the Clean Water Act and the Safe Drinking Water Act, how communities came together when the Cuyahoga River was on, was catching on fire to say, hey, water should not be catching on fire. Mm -hmm. um, and so we want to make sure that, that we are protecting these regulations that are, that are in place. Um, so that we don't have more issues like like Flint happen, mm -hmm. um, and because it causes issues with our with our kids, we we want to have kids who are who are healthy and who can go out and do great things. But kids who have issues with lead, we all know there are medical issues that are associated with that, from learning disabilities to you know so many other things. And so making sure that we are have a coordinated effort to talk about lead and drinking water talk about water infrastructure mm -hmm. is so important and so vital for all of us. I often wonder if the, this new administration understands that water is a human right and that without it, um, we know that life doesn't last very long. And I look at some of the sort of movements that they've been doing to try to deconstruct and dismantle, mm -hmm. not only programs in the Environmental Protection Agency, but in other agencies and departments um, and in their movements uh, of federalism going back to the states uh, without any resources following that. Uh, it seems like it makes it a very precarious situation for folks to actually be able to address these issues and that's why I'm, uh, I'm so happy with the Clean Water for All campaign because in a sense, you know, as the federal government continues to sort of uh, move away from their responsibilities, there are other organizations that are filling those spaces. Yeah. Now that does not mean that we should not hold them accountable. No. But um, uh, until we can get them to do right or be gone, yeah. um, you know, the Clean Water for All campaign and others are filling that space. Well, Rosemary, all I can say is thank you so much for your work, for your advocacy, uh, and for your commitment to our communities. 
And, and that's what we like to highlight here on Think 100, the coolest show on climate change. Uh, and we look forward to continuing to partner with you to make real change happen inside of our community. So thank you so much, everybody. Definitely uh, tune in to the work that Rosemary and the coalition is doing um, to make clean water for all a reality for each and every one of our communities across this country. Thank you again, y'all. You've been listening to Hip Hop Caucus Think 100% without a doubt, the coolest show on climate change. Thanks for joining us this week on Think 100% The Coolest Show on Climate Change A Hip Hop Caucus Platform Let's keep this important dialogue going Be a part of the conversation by following us on social media at Think 100 Show and at Hip Hop Caucus Visit our website at think100.info for blog content, information on upcoming events, or to connect with us. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe wherever podcasts are available so you'll never miss an episode. Rate and review us or simply tell a friend. Climate change impacts all of us. And if we think 100%, we can achieve a 100% sustainable and just world together. Take one, honey.